Hello. Hi. Hello. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so uh, get your papers back to you. Uh, mostly everybody did okay. Let me show you a couple of uh, proofreading marks that uh, you might not be familiar with. Um, if I circle something and I do something like that, that means take it out. It doesn't belong there. Um, if you've got a couple of words and I circle the middle of that and I put something like MW in the margin, that means that there's a missing word. Um, I'm not about to tell you what that word is or should be because it's up to you. Uh, what's that? Uh, if I circle something like um, and put SP, that means spelling. It's misspelled. Um, and yeah, don't forget when you use the spell checker, It'll mark something spelled correctly, even though the usage is wrong, because it needs a different spelling in that context. Uh, yeah, spell checker sucks. So, um, and then um, if I circle something and I put uh, WW, that means wrong word. That means there should be a different word there. That word doesn't work there. Uh, what else? Oh, really common. People will put quotes and then a punctuation outside the quotes. And so I'll do this. That means switch the position of those two things. And I might do it if there's words that need to be switched or even the order of a whole phrase or something. Uh, what else? Any other marks that are ambiguous there for you? Yeah? What is like the breakdown of the, of the grades? Okay. Okay, so um, in my course, at the end of the term, when I tally up your points, um, I'll per calculate a percentage score for you. And um, so if your score is greater than or equal to 77%, oops, 87%, you will, uh, that would be an A, um, greater than... 77% uh, is a B, and greater than or equal to 67% is a C, and then 60 is a D, and uh, less than 60 is uh, F at the end of the, but that's just really at the end of the term. No, not really. I give I I assign a letter grade um, to the content and one to the style, okay. but that's just for my own um, ease of grading relatively subjectively. Uh, 
ultimately you're just you're getting a certain number of points out of a possible 50 and then those are going to add into your total number of points for the course and then at the end of the course you get a letter grade um any other questions as i said uh when you hand in your second paper hand it in in the folder with your original first paper and if you have improved things that I marked up on your first paper, uh, then I'll give you some uh, credit for improvement. Yeah. So in the assignment, is it just relating the content matter of whatever it is you provide us with to the um, like applicable part of our study? Yeah. Yeah. So. You don't need to. Um, you know, uh, on this paper, for example, where I gave you the, the article by um, Rebecca Delisle on uh, motivation in academia, um, your goal was to take the concepts in that article and integrate them with what you learned in the textbook about motivation and behavior. Um, and for the most part, you all did that really quite well. Um, now, for the second paper, where you're going to be doing the what was? Sorry. That was a really intense face. <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to embarrass you. Um, so uh, this is going to be a really funny podcast. So, um, where was I? I got lost. Oh, so for the second, yeah, the second. The se yo, yo, what it do, dog? Um, for the second paper, I have to close my eyes because I can't even look at you all. My, for the, for the second. <laughs> no. For the second paper, you're going to be doing the project implicit. Um, task and so uh, oh um, well you'll know when you read the assignment um, basically you're gonna do a little experiment online um, and so uh, what you'll want to do for that similarly is to draw from the um, textbook um, any concepts or theories that might apply to uh, what you did in that experiment what you thought of it what what you found out yeah it's a more that second paper is more of a reaction paper and less of a um, a content-based paper. But also uh, the assignment for that paper, as I sent you in an email, um, those of you who aren't checking your email, I send an email that the assignment is available for download. <laughs> Wink. And um, the uh, uh, the general instructions are the same as the first page. I also sent in the email that. On the assignment for the second paper, I specified two-page limit. Um, make that a three-page limit. Um, that was an old assignment that I didn't modify. Uh, less uh, three or less. Yeah, if you can write a concise two-page paper, that's great. Yeah. Uh, now, um, I also have to tell you that uh, because in psychology we can't. Um, force you to do any kind of psychological research. 
um, or be involved in a research study, if for whatever reason you feel um, you, you, you feel as if participating in that study would um, is morally wrong or for whatever reason you object to participation, um, there is an alternative assignment that I can give you um, other than uh, doing the project implicit study. But um, I'll um, advise you that that assignment is probably a lot less interesting than the project implicit assignment. So. Any uh, other questions? Let's talk about stress. Let's do a little bit of review back to uh, neuroscience. And um, so the organization of the nervous system. And you'll remember that the nervous system is organized into two major divisions, the central nervous system and the peripheral nervous system, right? The central nervous system is composed of two uh, pieces. And what are those two pieces? No, the central nervous system. What's that? Spinal cord and the brain, yeah. So there's really only two parts to the central nervous system. The peripheral nervous system is itself divided into two parts, the somatic nervous system. And remember that the somatic nervous system has to do with receiving sensory information from your body and also um, voluntary muscle control. Remember that? And then the second division of the peripheral nervous system is the autonomic nervous system, right? And the autonomic nervous system is all about um, relatively involuntary things that happen in your body. Most of those things allow you to survive. Most of those things involve um, uh, bodily regulation functions, right? So temperature control, um, digestion, um, um, heart rate is a mixture, um, respiration is a mixture of voluntary and involuntary. Um, uh, you know, the glandular functions. So um, the autonomic nervous system is itself broken down into two parts, the sympathetic and the parasympathetic, right? And the sympathetic nervous system does what in the autonomic nervous system? Fight or flight, so arousal related behaviors, right? So when you're faced with a threat, the, the uh, sympathetic branch of the ner autonomic nervous system becomes active. And the parasympathetic nervous system is doing what? What's that? Resting. So resting, so calming. So actually, you're always in a state of activation of your autonomic nervous system. And that activation is hopefully kept in, what do we call it when things are in balance? homeostasis or equilibrium, homeostasis, and that homeostasis is a balance between um, not too much uh, activation and not too much calming, right? So you stay right in the night, right and nice in the middle, right? Of course, if you have um, a biological disorder or a psychological disorder, you may experience periods where either one of these is more, is overly active and then you are, you know, hyper anxious or, 
maybe depressed and um, uh, or not really depressed, but avolitional is called. You don't have volition. You don't have uh, motivation to do things, right? So, um, so the autonomic nervous system is something we generally don't have voluntary control over. Okay. Questions on this stuff? Let's talk about the peripheral nervous system. So uh, we talked about the somatic uh, nervous system. And as I said, mostly it's composed of two types of nerves, afferent nerves, which are the sense receptors that are going to the central nervous system from out, out in the rest of your body. And then the efferent nerves, which is um, the, the nerves that carry information from your central nervous system, mostly from your spine, but also from your brain, to the glands in your body and the voluntary muscles in your body. Okay. And then the autonomic nervous system, which is going to be the one that we're going to be more concerned with in terms of stress, um, as I said, maintains homeostasis and also uh, handles all these involuntary things that are always going on in your body. And you don't have to think actively about them. They just work most of the time. The sympathetic is an activating part, and the parasympathetic um, functions to balance out that sympathetic nervous system. Now, here's the deal. We're going to do a lab uh, in here. Um, what's today? Next Tuesday, a week from today. And that lab, what we're going to be doing in that lab is getting you to um, voluntarily activate your parasympathetic nervous system, which is something you typically don't do. But we'll see if we can't actually um, get you to do that in that class, in that lab. That'll be fun. OK. Um, now, uh, in addition to reviewing the somatic, uh, the, the peripheral nervous system, we also should, we also should talk a little bit about the um, uh, central nervous system. I don't know why I do that sometimes. It just happens. Uh, we want to talk a little bit about the central nervous system and the parts of the central nervous system that are activated in um, stress and stress responses. Any questions before we do? He said trying to give people time to scribble. Um, so uh, mostly when we talk about the brain's effects on stress, we're going to deal mostly with the forebrain. Do you remember why this part of the brain down here is called the hindbrain? And this is called the forebrain? Yeah. So most mammals are, um, are not bipedal. They don't stand upright. And so their heads are actually, this part of their brain is actually almost, it points back here. Um, and so the forebrain sits up here on top of the uh, medulla 
and the, uh, remember the reticular formation is in here and the pons and the medulla. And then uh, up here at the top is the thalamus. Do you remember what the thalamus does? What's that? Uh, no, that's the reticular formation and the pons. So it receives information from where and routes it out to the cerebral cortex. What's that? Nope. So it's going to take all your um, somatic nerves, your sensory nerves from your body, and it routes those through the thalamus, and then the thalamus routes them out to the um, various parts of the cortex, so the cortex can deal effectively with those um, with those somatic um, sensory inputs. The limbic system, though, is going to be mostly what we're going to be concerned with in terms of stress responses. And if I say limbic system, you should automatically associate that with what kinds of behavior or experiences? What's that? Emotion, yeah. Yeah. Emotion and bodily regulation, yeah. So uh, emotion, mostly because of the presence of the amygdala, uh, and the amygdala is activated in what kinds of emotions do we see? It's associated with fear and rage, yeah. So um, heavy-duty association with, with emotion here. In addition, the hippocampus is involved with what? Do you remember what the hippocampus does? Memory formation and consolidation. Good, good, good. Yeah, you remembered. Um, yeah, hip hippopotamuses have great memories. No, that's elephants. Wait a minute. Oh wait, the elephant is related to the hippopotamus, isn't it? I don't know. So the uh, hippocampus and then the uh, hypothalamus sits out here in front of the thalamus, and the hypothalamus is going to be associated with bodily regulation. Right, so making sure your temperature is regulated properly, heart rate, um, breathing, respiration. And then um, sitting down here attached to the, hippo to the hypothalamus is this little bulb called the pituitary gland. And there's another name for the pituitary gland, an mm -hmm. informal name, the master gland, right, good. And the master gland, um, because in combination with the hypothalamus, the pituitary gland is going to be telling your autonomic nervous system what to do for the most part. It's releasing hormones, um, and those hormones are going to travel um, and activate your autonomic nervous system and the glands in your body to do the things it needs to do, to do things like fight or flight, um, reproductive behaviors, um, bodily regulation, um, you know, eating, fighting, stuff like that. Things that are very survival uh, related. Okay. And of course the cerebral cortex out here and the olfactory bulb hanging out here. Okay. So that's your central nervous system. Now, when we talk about stress, um, we need to talk about a second system in your body that's separate from your nervous system. And um, it's called the neuroendocrine system. 
It's called the neuroendocrine system because it's going to be an interface between your nervous systems and your endocrine systems. And so it starts out, as I said, with the pituitary gland, which um, is related to the hypothalamus and the body um, regulation. And when we get the two of these operating together, um, we produce hormones and we regulate our body systems. One of those hormones that is produced by the pituitary gland is called ACTH, adrenocorticotrophic hormone. Um, that is a big word, but you can break it down into um, smaller pieces, right? Adreno, adrenal glands, right? Cortico, um, anybody know what that has to do with? Cortisol, stress hormones. Um, so it's going to be involved in the adrenal system and, uh, uh, and in stress. And the ACTH is what's actually going to stimulate the adrenal glands to go, uh, to go into action. And the adrenal glands, which sit up on top of your kidneys, um, are going to pick up this ACTH from the pituitary gland, which travels through your bloodstream and winds up in your uh, endocrine, in your adrenal glands. And the ACTH is then going to stimulate the release of uh, what are called cortico uh, glucocorticoids. Gluco, sugar, glucose, corticoids, again, having to do with stress, I think. And um, a couple of, one of those uh, glucocorticoids is cortisol. And if you remember from uh, when I talked about this last term, those of you who took a 201 with me, we talked about cortisol being a very um, activating uh, hormone. And so cortisol is one of those hormones that gets released when you're in intense um, stress. Uh, but it's, also, it's very activating. It's also very um, toxic to your body. So you don't want to be um, having it released a lot for a long time. It's good to get you going, good to get you um, doing things like um, getting uh, fats converted to um, sugar and stuff like that. But you don't want to have it around for a long time. Um, these glucocorticoids uh, also act as anti-inflammatory drugs. So um, when you injure a part of your body, your body's um, natural response to prevent further injury is inflammation, right? And, but the problem is inflammation also causes pain. So uh, the anti-inflammatory properties of these glucocorticoids allow you to, when you're in a period of intense stress and you're responding to a threat, you get through the threat without feeling the pain of the inflammation, okay? So if you injure yourself, you know, you're running and you hurt yourself, you can still keep running and don't feel the pain as much until later on, right? Yeah, you've all had that experience. Um, in addition, um, we're going to see an elevation of blood sugar, and part of that is going to um, be a result of um, converting carbohydrates to sugars, for example, but also metabolizing proteins and fats and starting to convert those into sugars. 
So your because your body needs that sugar to uh, to respond to the threat that is stressful. Okay. So this is all kind of the backstory, and I'm giving you this because. Um, it's good to know that this all works and it's working because it needs to do what it does. The problem is that the kinds of stressors that we're exposed to in a contemporary context are oftentimes chronic long-term stressors. This response is meant for short-term, responding to a threat, getting through the danger, and then getting over it. But in our contemporary context, the stressors that we're exposed to are oftentimes exaggerate this response for a long period of time. And that's when we start seeing stress-related problems. Yeah. Do you know if like, um, an individual uh, experiences high levels of stress, like, it, it, at a young ages, if that increases like, how sensitive these systems activate, or how quickly they activate? Um, I don't know the relationship between uh, childhood, you know, chronic childhood stress and the effectiveness of the neuroendocrine system in responding to a threat. Uh, but there is an association between um, childhood stress and later cardiovascular uh, illnesses. So, but I don't know anything about whether it sensitizes the system or desensitizes it. I don't think so, but it, that may, I'm not sure. So uh, as I said, the adrenal system, it's going to be releasing these glucocorticoids. Um, it's also going to be releasing something called catecholamines. And catecholamines are neurotransmitters and hormones that are very activating. They get you going. They get you ready to do something, fight or flight. And these catecholamines include uh, norepinephrine and epinephrine. And norepinephrine and epinephrine have another set of names. Do you remember those? Adrenaline and noradrenaline, yeah. Um, so when we think of adrenaline, this is, it's when we say adrenaline, we typically talk um, about these two the neurotransmitters and hormones. Okay, now stress is so tied into the release of epinephrine or adrenaline that we actually measure epinephrine levels and use that as an index of stress to, um, to, com to measure how stressed out you are. The more adrenaline you're producing, the more stress you're under. In general, a blood test. No, it. That's the thing. With oh yeah, you do feel it. It's just that um, your parasympathetic nervous system will kick in to counteract the effects of the adrenaline. That's all. It's still there. It's just your parasympathetic nervous system kicks up until everything starts to come down together. Okay, so what is stress? Um, so when I ask people, uh, you know, I'll hear people say things to me all the time like, um, 
I have a high-stress job. Um, or people might say, I am stressed. Or something like, my exam is stressing me out. Or, this stress is killing me. So what do all those things imply? What is stress? Think, think at a higher level than that even. What's that? Okay, so outside pressures that are affecting psychological processors. Good. Any other ideas? Yeah. Doesn't it has to also be perceived as stressful? Good. Um, see, that's most people when they say this, they say, I have a high stress job. They're saying that the job is the stress. And what they really mean is, my job is a stressor. Stress, instead, is your subjective response, your individual response and appraisal um, and perception of that stressor and what it means to you and how you're going to respond to that. So um, I went to the internet and looked up some images about stress, and here's one that I found. So definitely this job is stressing her out, huh? So. So she's got all this stuff falling on her. Um, that one, right? That's stressed. Um, and then I found this one. That's another form of stress, right? But really, what's happening here? Is that stress or it's her dealing with it, her response? Right? Oh, she's tired. Or she's tired. Right? Notice that um, in all three of those cases, it was somebody holding their head. Like, stress comes from your head or something, right? <laughs> it's kind of funny, huh? It makes, it makes your head heavy, yeah. Um, what's that? Uh, like, several years ago, like in the 50s, they, stress was always in the stomach. In the gut, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, in fact, if you think of the adrenal glands being on your kidneys, it's a lot closer to say it's in your gut than it is in your head. But, of course, your pituitary glands telling your adrenals what to do. So what are you going to do when you're stressed out? You might try that. <laughs> oh, I'm awesome. I need to get to work. <laughs> I don't recommend, I don't recommend oh, this way of dealing oh with God, stress. I put that everywhere. I know some of you do it. So um, there are better ways to deal with stress, I guarantee you. What's that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all right out there. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so we're going to, and in fact, in this lab, in this lab that we do uh, next week, we'll actually look at some better ways to uh, try to de-stress a little bit. So, um, so we oftentimes will use the word stress to indicate the external stimulus, the stressor. But typically, 
What we're more concerned about in terms of stress is your response, your own internal and subjective response, because that's where the stress really is, right? This is not stressful to me, right? It's a banana. It's been peeled. It's kind of messy. It's sitting out on the desk, right? Even if I take the banana part, right, and I put it on the desk, that's not stressing me out. But someone who's real sensitive to contamination, if they see that on there, they're like, ah, right? Their blood pressure goes up and they start to get all red and, right? So it's, it's your own inter subjective interpretation of the stressor that's really gonna involve um, how you feel and what you're going to experience in terms of stress. And it's really the interaction of the two, right? We don't experience an internal response generally without some kind of external stimulus. Um, in the, with the exception of stress-related um, psychological disorders, for example, uh, general, uh, oops, what's it called? General, yeah, no, I'm doing it. <laughs> Generalized anxiety disorder. Generalized anxiety disorder is a psychological disorder. It's an anxiety disorder that uh, manifests itself as you just kind of always feeling like you're in a state of worry, anxiety, stress, panic, without any particular external stimulus to kick it off. If I'm afraid of bananas and I see this banana here, then that's an external stimulus that provokes an anxiety. But in generalized anxiety disorder, people just have this what's called free-floating anxiety, and they can never give it up. And that's a problem that needs to be treated. But typically, you need this some sort of stressful stressor to kick off that stress response. Yeah. Yeah, that's pathological anxiety. Yeah, that's that's something else that needs to be treated. Yeah, yeah. Can generalized anxiety disorder be helped? Yeah, um, there are uh, some very good um, uh, drug treatments, and also um, psychotherapy, particularly cognitive behavioral therapy, which challenges the ideas of the anxiety. But typically, um, people will need a a, a drug to bring that anxiety level down so that they can function on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, there are better drugs and not so better drugs, but uh, any competent psychiatrist should be able to uh, find what the right one is, yeah. Panic disorders are, um, are an anxiety disorder, and panic disorders um, involve um, recurrent, unpredictable panic attacks which are panic attacks are essentially intense, sudden intense activations of your, um, uh, uh, of your autonomic nervous system and your uh, sympathetic branch of your nervous system so that you go into this real, you start sweating, heart palpitations, sick to your stomach, you know, your adrenaline's just running crazy. Uh, those um, don't necessarily have a particular stressor that'll kick them off, but, um, uh, the problem with panic disorders as opposed to panic attacks is the person is, um, is constantly in a state of dread that they're going to have another panic attack. 
And so that's the problem because that, in, that interrupts their ability to function effectively. But again, that's pathological. Here, we're talking about normal stress more than differently than um, psychological disorders or psychopathology. So if you want to learn more about that, take the abnormal psychology class. That's a fun class. Okay, so uh, we're done. Uh, I'll see you on uh, Thursday. Um, yeah, actually.